You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. We are continuing our theme of revival. And we've been in this theme, it was originally just a teaching series about revival, but we've been in this theme talking about revival now uh, since the beginning of January. And originally it was just a few week series, but God continues to pour out more and more. And as we dive into this more, one of the things that God's been showing us, is, and me specifically in my prayer time, is that there is a, a spirit of complacency that has kind of crept in and is over uh, the Tulsa region. And it's a spirit of complacency relig- or religiously, um, spiritually. It's a spirit of complacency where a lot of God's people and even sometimes many churches have um, been lulled to sleep in our area. And what God's wanting to do is, if you, if you ever heard this area called the Bible Belt or even the buckle of the Bible Belt, God is wanting to revive Tulsa again in our region. And he's wanting to do a revival here where his spirit and his power moves mightily um, in this area. And his, his kingdom truly is expanding and we see salvations and healings and things like that. And we believe that God has placed us here as a by church to play a major role in that, And so I'm excited to continue to dive into this topic of revival because it, it, there's a lot uh, that we can do to help steward the kingdom of God here on earth. And so today we're talking about revival in them, meaning this, hopefully all of us have a them in our life. Well, man, I've been praying for them. I've been uh, hoping that, that they, um, you know, come, come to Christ. I'm hoping that uh, their, their marriage uh, is, is fixed or finds healing. You know, maybe there's always somebody, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, somebody, uh, a, a man or a woman, somebody that you're, or maybe a couple that you're believing God's best for. Uh, maybe you walked in today and you are uh, a them. Maybe you've been far from God or maybe you haven't been walking with God. Guess what? Today, I have good news for you today um, with what we're going to talk about. But God's word and a specifically a story in the life of Jesus shows us, God, how do we as a church, how do we help find or get revival in other people? We've already talked about how do we get revival in us? How do we have revival in our church? But how do we, how do we spread it? And so I'm going to look at a story found in Luke chapter 5, and I'll have it up here on the screen for you. We're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus, and then we'll talk about how that applies to revival. Let's look at it. Uh, Luke 5, starting in verse 17, it says this, now what happened on a certain day as he, Jesus, was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. We'll come back to that. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Literally, um, they went up and they uh, basically had to grab some crowbars or some shovels or something and basically pry open a hole in the roof to get this, this guy to Jesus. And so it wasn't just that there was already a hole. No, they made a hole so they could lower this guy in. Uh, I mean, you know, that's some dedication, right? Luckily, we didn't have to do that today to get you into church. We didn't have to lower you down uh, in here. Uh, let's go to verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, which are just religious leaders, they began reasoning, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he didn't even have to hear him say it. He, he knew what they were thinking. He answered and he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? 
which is, uh, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He's speaking of himself. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Uh, Jesus has many uh, drop the mic moments, right? He's just like, what are you going to say about it? Get up, you're healed, go home. Uh, verse 25, immediately he rose up before them. He took up what he had been laying on and he departed to his house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear, a reverent fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I love that. We have seen some strange things today. What's amazing for the man that was healed is his bed that he was on uh, was his livelihood. It, it would be the same um, uh, as basically his, his house. He was always relying on someone else to get him places. So for him to take up basically all of his livelihood with him in the thing that was his crutch for forever and to walk with it back to his family would have been a truly miraculous thing and people were left in awe and amazement. So let's talk about this for a second. How do we get revival in them? How does this apply to that? The first point I want you to see is this, and this is what God showed me, is that my focus reveals my priority. My focus reveals my priority. What I focus on is magnified in my life. Whatever I focus on is magnified in my life. This is why it's important that what I'm um, even physically looking at on a regular basis, but also spiritually in my mental, my mind's eye, what am I looking at? Um, it's, a, it's a huge deal. Let's look back at verse 18 and 19 in Luke 5. It says this, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in but lay before Jesus. But look at this. And when they could not, they could not bring him in. Why? Because of the crowd. They could not bring him in because of the crowd. There's some issues here, okay? In this story, we see two groups of people, and these same two groups of people are in many churches today, okay? Let me break it down for us. Uh, we saw religious leaders and the crowd. These are two perfect pictures of people in many churches today. The first one is the religious leaders or religious people, people that are caught up in making sure we check all the right boxes religiously, we do things according to God's word, yes, but many times we, get into, we can get into a rut of uh, we do church because that's what we're supposed to rather than we get to do church. We have to do, we get to do church. We are the church. We don't go to church. And so we have the religious leaders. These people, they show up to church to critique, to correct, and to pounce on any wrong thing said or done. Anybody ever been in a church and they got a lot of these people? I have, okay? You don't have to, you know, if they're in here today, don't point fingers or nothing, all right? So don't, don't be uh, making it awkward, okay? But these people know it all. They have done it all. And because of that, you can't minister to them at all. <laughs> they've, they've done it all. They know it all. And so why they are in, even present is a great question. But these people followed even Jesus around, and so it's no mystery that the same type of person would be in the body of Christ, which is what the local church is called, the body of Christ even today. They would try to show up. The second one, though, is just as dangerous, or I could say it this way, just as useless, okay, <laughs> is the crowd. The crowd. The crowd is so enamored by what's happening and making sure that they can see that they actually have their back turned to the ones who need Jesus the most, if we're not careful, this is what can happen in any church. This is what can happen in our church. We can get so fascinated with 
what's happening here in our church and our programs and our small group and our community and our stuff that we're looking here all the while there's somebody right behind us that our back is turned to who needs to get to Jesus but we haven't even seen them we're so focused on what we're doing in our small group of people that our body language says this you can just go to hell can we be real That's what the crowd was saying to the paralyzed person. We want to see what Jesus is doing. I want to make sure I have the best seat to hear Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm getting fed. Meanwhile, there's someone who's been longing, who needs Jesus, who has needed to be close to Jesus, who needs his healing, who needs his salvation. But our backs are turned to him the whole time. How do you think he felt? Please, like you guys, you're standing on your legs looking to Jesus I just want to be able to do that. Would you let me in? No. The religious and the crowd. So my body, our actions speak the loudest, right? We can say we love people and we can have a a beautiful website that says we love people and we love God and all this stuff, but what do our actions say? Do my actions say that I love people? Because if so, I've made a way for them to come to Jesus rather than turning my back to the person that needs Jesus the most. My focus then reveals my priority. What is my focus on? My church, and we should be proud. Of, you, sh- you should be proud of your church. You should be happy to be at church. Um, honestly, I would say it this way: if you don't think your church is the best church in the whole world, then maybe you're at the wrong church. Because yeah. God calls you to a church. You don't find a church. God leads you to a church, and He calls you because He knows your gifting and your talent mixed with that culture and the gifting and talent that's presentable in the leadership that it's going to complement one another, walk in unity so that you can accomplish the mission of God. But too many people are looking for a church that they like rather than being led by God, saying, God, where do you want us to go to church? Not what's convenient always, but what is, where are you calling us to go so that we can thrive as a family and as a church? Amen? So here's the thing. How do I approach church on every, every Sunday? What my focus is reveals my priority. How do I, fo- how do I uh, attend church on Sundays? Do I attend it like the religious? I'm just here to critique, correct, su- suggest things that should be done differently <laughs> with no investment. Please don't do that. Uh, number two is this. Like the crowd, I got to show up so I can get my seat so that I can see, so that I uh, have the best seat. So I got to make sure that I get fed. There's a season in life where times in life where, man, you, you just need to attend church for a little while. But can let me set you free today. God's desire is not that you would stay in that season of life. God's desire is that you would get to a point where you're involved in church because involvement in church means you're an active body part. Imagine if you had a body part, a, a finger, a hand, an arm, a leg that wasn't operating. It's a little annoying. It's there, but it ain't doing nothing, right? <laughs> Many times that's what happens in the church. When I'm active though, engaged, leaned in to what's going on, a part of the community, now the body can go further than it could whenever I'm just sitting on the sideline. What's my focus? The, like the religious, do I approach it like the crowd or do I approach it like the friends? Meaning this, I'm ready and I'm willing to serve someone else. There'll be times where you need to attend church because of what's going on in your life. However, God wants to graduate you to a place where you've become healthy yourself so that you can serve other people. That's the whole point. He wants it to where you've received, now you can actually freely give. You can give joy to other people. You can give peace to other people. You can give to others because you yourself are full. 
But there's times for both of those. There's a time just to, I got to get filled, but don't stay there. Don't fall for the lie of the enemy that that's where you are supposed to stay. God has things for you to do, and it's going to be the most fulfilling thing ever. The friends are ready and they're willing to serve. Here's the other thing that I like to remind people. God's word says this. The Bible says that God supplies seed to the sower. So the question is, what do I need in my life? Am I giving that to someone else? There's been times in my, my life and my wife Leslie's life where, can I be honest, even as the pastor of the church, we were going through some stuff personally and I didn't want to go to church. Can I tell you, I didn't have the energy uh, from some of the stuff we were going through. I didn't have the, the energy, the mental capacity to get up here and to preach. But guess what? I did. Why? God supplies seed to the sower. If I need peace in my life, am I a peaceful person to someone else? Am I sowing peace into someone else's life? If I need joy in my life, am I a sower of joy? When people see me, are they happy to see me? Or are they like, oh, not this guy or that girl, and they dodge me, right? Mr. Grumpy Pants, that's what we don't want. Yet I'm wondering why I have no joy in my life. God, why don't you send me joy? Maybe you have a friend or maybe you have a family member who's far from God. God, I just wish that you would bring them home. You would help them find Jesus. You'd help them find salvation. Are you serving someone else's family member as sowing seed in faith to say, God, I'm sowing seed loving this person's family member who's found so that someone else will serve my family member and point them to you. God supplies seed to the sower. And it's not difficult. It's not always hard things. That means this. You don't have to go and um, start a ministry or a nonprofit or if God's calling you to, that's great. However, many times it's the little things that we sow in our lives to others and God can give us back in return. Some of the greatest faith boosts in my life have been when I have prayed for and served people who were receiving the promises from God and good things in their life that I've been praying for for years. God, I'm... Everything in me, my flesh says, I don't want to celebrate with you, but I'm going to anyway. Why? By faith, knowing that someday someone will celebrate with me when my, when my prayer is answered. Spiritual contributors get the most out of church. And this is where it's confusing in the American church because the, uh, the American church, capital C church, we've made it so easy to just watch from the sideline and not actually be a part of what's going on. We've made it easy to be the crowd is what I'm saying. We've made it easy to have our back to people who are hurting and not even know it, not even know it. But spiritual contributors, people who are active and engaged, the ones that are digging a hole through the roof to get their friend in, those people get the most out of church. Why? Because they show up with the attitude of Jesus, asking, who can I serve today? Who can I serve today? God, who can I, who can I hold the door open for today? Who can I pray, pray for today? God, how can I help someone today? Not just on Sunday, but every day. God, who is it? Give me someone that I can love well today. They get the most out of life. They get the most out of church. But the number one thing is this. If I'm ever going to see revival in other people, I've got to ask myself, where's my focus? Am I focused on so on what, uh, what's going on in church that I have my back to people who are in need? The second thing we see is this. My faith leads to their revival. My faith leads to their 
revival. We have a huge part to play in revival, salvation, healing, freedom happening in other people. And this is what I love about this story. My faith, their revival. Let's look back at verse 19. It says this. They went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The friend's. Not the guy who needed to be healed. When he saw their faith, the friend's faith, whose faith then healed the man? It was the friend's. The friend's faith. Many times we think, well, you know, we pray for somebody and they, nothing happens or the prayer doesn't get answered and we think, well, they just need to have more faith. Maybe I need to have more faith. <laughs> How am I? Well, we put all the condemnation on someone else rather than God, show me how I can effectively help this person, pray for this person, serve this person. But so many times when they don't get their prayer answered, we think, well, should have had more faith, brother. But that's not what Jesus says. He saw their faith and he responded to it. And my faith and your faith, it has the power to bring revival to others. That should excite us because that says we have all of the potential in the world. How bad do I want to see revival? How much am I willing to pray and go after it? How much am I willing to invite someone to it? How much am I willing to make it happen? It's easy to complain about our nations going to hell. Our, 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 our country is a mess. Our, our culture is awful. Great, what am I doing about it? My faith leads to their revival. I'm not saying you got to run for president or, you know, what, do whatever. But I am saying you, you have opportunity every single day to spiritually dig a hole through somebody's roof and get them to Jesus. Not physically, don't go rip somebody's roof off, okay? But spiritually, you can do that. Prayer, backed by action, it reveals true love to others and it produces wonderful results. Prayer, backed by action. That's why 1 John 3.18 says, this is the Amplified. He says, let us not love merely in theory with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion. But let's love in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. You can say you love somebody all day, but do your actions back it, right? I can say I love my spouse, but if I never serve my spouse, go out of my way to help my spouse, talk to my spouse, listen to my spouse, my actions speak louder than my words. But here's the thing, your prayer of faith backed with loving action is enough to change someone's life forever. Let me say that again. Because it's not difficult. Your prayer of faith backed with loving action is enough to change someone's life forever. It doesn't mean i got to pay off their mortgage or do something extravagant. Many times it's these small, simple things that change people's life. The faith of this man's friends could be seen. And that's the difference. Many people say they have faith, and I've done that. I have faith. But can anyone see my faith? Because God's word said faith, faith without works is what? It's dead, meaning what? It's useless. There is something lacking in our faith if it can never be seen. There's something lacking in our faith if it can never be seen. Does my faith have some feet with it that can go the distance? Am I doing anything with it? The last thing is this. God's power sparks revival. God's power sparks revival. 
We can learn so much from the story because our, our, our perspective shows what we actually care about. If we cared about people, we would make way for people rather than just be focused on what we want to do. If we, if, we, if we truly loved others, we would put action to it. But at the end of the day, when we do our part, God gets to do his part. God gets to do his part. God's power sparks revival. What, what makes revival take place? Now, we can fabricate revival if we want. We can do a man-made revival if we want. We can put on a good, uh, a good show or we can put on um, you know, a, a good performance and say it was revival. But God-inspired and, and backed revival only comes from his presence, which comes with his power. And this is what we see in the story. God's desire, what we, first and foremost, God's desire is to bring complete freedom and wholeness. What's the first thing Jesus does is he addresses sin. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Now you're healed. He addresses the root of the issue. The most important thing that needs to be addressed is he says, let me deal with your sin. Now let me deal with the secondary issue, which was your health. Let me raise you up. His desire is freedom, is wholeness. But not every person at that gathering received. I believe that. Not every person received healing that day. Let me show you. In Luke 5, 17, it says this, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This verse is talking about the religious leaders. We just talked about who was there. The religious leaders are there watching Jesus and the presence or the power of the Lord was present to heal them. There very well could have been some of the religious leaders present who needed healing themselves, yet they never got to experience it. That doesn't mean that our God is an unloving God, but it does mean that our God is extending a hand saying, will you partner with me? Will you walk with me? Will you trust me, son? Will you trust me, daughter? Will you have faith to believe that I am as good as this book says I am? That's what he's asking. That's what he's asking. So many times in the life of Jesus, many times we see this, God wants, he desires to do much in people's lives. Yet one example is this in Matthew 13, 58. It says, now he, Jesus, did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Many times we think that's too much. It's too big to ask God to do that. It's too small to ask God to do that. I don't want to waste God's time. He's got bigger things going on. Our God is a God of details who loves you. He sees you and he wants to work miraculously in your life. But can I tell you this? Some churches never see God do the miraculous because the people show up not expecting God to do the miraculous. It's that simple. They never see it because they don't expect it. Well, I'm just going to church because that's what I'm supposed to. I better make myself feel good today. Rather than I'm showing up today believing that someone who walked in addicted will walk out free. I'm showing up today believing that someone who came in sick or in pain can walk out healed and walk out in freedom and stay that way. Not because of some weird show or some magic trick, because of the presence of God, which backs and comes with the power of God. That's his desire. That's his will for the church. But we can make it personal as well. Some people never see God do the miraculous in their life because they don't have the expectant faith to see it. I think so many times God's just saying, I could do so much more in your life if you just have the faith to ask. 
Does that mean that everything is going to work out how you want it to or how you planned it to? Not necessarily, but it should challenge us to pray with greater expectation. How? In agreement with God's word. Our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning this. If he said it in here, then you have opportunity to receive it. If he's done it in here, then he can do it again. If he set somebody free in here, it should boost your faith saying, God, you did it then, you're the same, so I believe in you're going to do it now. It is an encouragement to us. doesn't mean that it's always going to work out how my mind thinks it should work out. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher than our ways. However, it should challenge us to say, you know what, God? I'm going to have the faith to believe for a lot and if you come through, I'm going to experience a lot. Rather than I'm going to have the faith to believe for just enough, and if you come through, I'll have just enough. I say this all the time, but I would rather go to heaven someday and see Jesus, my Savior, face to face, and for him to look at me and say, wow, you really went a little extreme and you really believed everything I said in there, huh? Yes, sir, I did. Rather than get to heaven and see my Savior and for him to say, I had so much more for your life. I had healing for your life. I had healing for your marriage. I had freedom for you personally. If you just would have had the faith to believe what I said in here. Let us not miss that opportunity. Let us not miss that opportunity, but let's take advantage of what's ahead of us and say, God, today I'm choosing to have the faith to believe you for more that your power at work is going to spark revival in my life and in the people's lives around me. That's what I love is how this story ends is Luke 5, 26. This is the Amplified. It's a little bit different. It says this. They were all astonished and they began glorifying God and they were filled with reverential fear and they kept saying, we have seen wonderful and incredible things today. We've seen wonderful and incredible things today. Can I tell you, church, this is God's desire every Sunday when we gather. Not just in a healing service, not just in a revival tent meeting somewhere. Every Sunday, he, he says that when two or more are gathered in his name, his presence is there among us, meaning this, his manifest, which is a made known presence, is available to work in your life. So no matter what you need, if you came here today, guess what? There's more than two or three gathered in his name to glorify him, not to raise up our own name or our own brand or anything ridiculous like that, to glorify Jesus. And because of that, you can be expectant when you come here that God wants to work in your life. Expect it. But too many churches, I, 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 you know, we're just going to church, trying to be a good Christian. When God's saying, if you would believe me, oh man, I want to show you what I can do according to my word. If we would show up, God is, God is wanting to show off. In fact, that's what's amazing about last Sunday. Last Sunday, we had a guest speaker, Brother John Smithwick. He, he did a healing service, and we saw eight instant miraculous healings take place. Everything from somebody with a frozen shoulder to back pain to knee pain. We saw eight instant healings take place. And here's the thing. You may say, well, I don't know if I buy that. You know, you guys maybe planted some people in the audience doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> God moved. And guess what? Even a few days later, we continued to hear reports of more people. Two more people messaged us, reached out to us saying, hey, I couldn't check it. I couldn't check my pain because of whatever it was in the moment. But God moved and I'm healed and I'm set free. I don't know about you, but that's worth celebrating people. People, God showed up. He's, what's he doing? He's backing up what I'm saying today is that when we truly gather with the right heart in his name as his church, that he wants to do amazing things. And every Sunday he wants his people going out saying, we've seen 
some crazy things today. Doesn't always mean a physical healing, but many times one of the best things that we've seen today is salvation and freedom from addiction. It's people coming to the altar at the end of service and saying, you know what, I've been addicted to tobacco, I've been addicted to cigarettes, I've been addicted to this stuff, I've been addicted to alcohol, and I'm gonna lay it down at the altar and I'm gonna go home free today. I'm gonna lay it down and go home free. How do you, if you've ever been addicted to a substance like that, you know that's a miracle in itself. But God's available to do that today. And every time we gather, the manifest presence of God comes with the manifest power of God. This is why church is essential. Church is not an option. That's why my son Gavin, he's going to be eight here in just a few weeks. He doesn't get to tell me if we're going to church or not. Now, I have a little bit different, right? I'm the pastor. I got to be here, right? But even still, as for me in our house, we're going to serve the Lord. That means you can find us in church every week, every week. Church is essential. As I wrap up, let me just leave you with this. God puts people in our lives. This is what I'm trying to tell you today. God puts people in our lives so that we can bring them to Jesus. If you're a believer, he's put people in your life so you can bring them to Jesus. But sadly, too many times, our actions or lack thereof turn people away from the church and our precious Savior. What I do how I act or what I fail to do turns people away. You may say, Pastor Dan, is that, is that really my responsibility? Up here I have, uh, I love this cover. This is my, uh, my grandpa's Bible. And it's my dad's dad. My dad gave me this um, after my grandpa passed away. And it's one of the best gifts, I've, probably the best gift I've ever gotten. But in this Bible, it reminds me that my grandpa's obedience to go down to the altar and receive salvation is why this church exists today. Because his family came from, uh, his family was full of addiction, brokenness, people who are far from God, who don't know God. But because he said yes to Jesus, we're here today. In this Bible, what I love is that as I flip through, there's no markings, there's no highlighted parts, there's a million (laughs) note cards with notes on it. But he held this at such a high standard as the Holy Bible. He would not even dare put his pen or his words or a note or a highlight on the pages. That's how much he had a reverent respect for God's word. I'll make notes, but that's not gonna be on the pages of God's word. My words won't be on the pages of God's word. One of the most things that's the biggest impactful thing that I've gotten from this Bible is this. On the inside here is a little note, and I have it up here for you. And this sums up exactly what we're talking about today. Let me read it. It says, on the street, I saw a small girl cold and shivering in a thin dress with little hope of a decent meal. And I became angry and I said to God, why did you permit this? Why don't you do something about it? And for a while, God said nothing. That night he replied quite suddenly, I certainly did something about it. I made you. And in our world, and in a world of social media, it can be so easy to be a keyboard hero 
complain about everything. Rather than let's be people who are dedicated to seeing revival in others so much that we put feet to our faith and we don't just say we love people, but we do something about it. Then God can move. Then God can work. And then God can set free and heal and bring freedom and have salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Easter is the perfect and the easiest (laughs) weekend to practice this. We have those invites, as I talked about earlier, these little square invites. And this may seem like a little piece of paper, but this could change a family tree. This could lead to the impact that this has because this could lead to someone coming to the altar and finding freedom on Easter Sunday, which changes a family tree, which leads to churches being started, which leads to ministries being started, which leads to nations being saved. We have no idea the impact that this could make for someone. This could lead to something like this. But all it takes is a simple ask. Would you come and see what God is doing? And today you may be in here and you may say, Pastor Dan, that sounds great and all, but honestly, I need that today. I want to see other people saved and set free, but honestly, maybe you're in here and you say, I need freedom today. I need, I need the love of God today. I need, I need forgiveness today. If that's you, I'm not here to condemn you or to overlook you in any way. In fact, I would love to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I need that today. I need revival in me. I need help. I can't keep carrying this weight. I have this sin or this addiction, this guilt. And maybe you just need to come home to Jesus today. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you do anything weird. I just would love to pray with you. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, but you would like to today, or maybe you did at one time, but you've drifted and you've done your own thing, I would love to pray with you as well. If that's you today, you say, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? All around this room, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, that's me. I need to make that decision today. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. I need to recommit today. Here's what we're going to do right up here on stage. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you raised your hand, or maybe you you should have raised your hand, but you didn't, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I want you to do it out loud, loud enough where you can hear yourself with your own ears. I'm going to have everybody, everybody in here pray this prayer together. This is simply a prayer of us putting our faith in Jesus. And God's word says if we would do this, confess Jesus with our mouth, believe in our heart, we will be saved. Would you pray this prayer after me, everyone in this room? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth and to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Right now, I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me clean. Set me free. You are my Lord. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.